Just a quick heads up, a little warning going into before this episode begins. There may be a little bit of salty language, um, including, I think, one F-bomb. So if you have young children or if you have a sensitive ear of your own or you don't want to have to explain what certain words mean, like the F-bomb, because you just don't have the time and you're not ready to have that conversation yet, you may want to skip this episode or you may want to listen to it in advance before you let young and, pre- young and or impressionable people listen to the episode. Just a fair warning, a little bit of salty language early on in this episode and a couple of spots throughout. Enjoy the show. Salutations, dear listeners. Welcome to I Have So Many Questions, a show about finding enlightenment from even the most mundane interrogatories. I am your host, Brian Watson. Please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts at. It helps bring in new listeners as I work toward establishing my cult of personality, which is the sole purpose of this entire endeavor. Here's how you can get in touch with the show. The Twitter handle is at I have so many pod or just look up I have so many questions podcast on the search function of your Twitter app and then save it. The email address is I have questions podcast at gmail.com facebook.com forward slash I have so many questions podcast. There's an Instagram page but I don't even have Instagram on my phone. If you really want me to hear the sound of your voice as you yell at me for the crazy stuff that you hear on the show, either past, present, or future, you can leave me a voice message on the show's homepage on anchor.fm. That is anchor.fm forward slash I have questions. It's in a nice little box in the middle of the, the middle of the page. The show is streaming everywhere, just about everywhere you can get your podcasts at, especially Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and of course, iTunes and Apple Podcasts. It's been a bit since I recorded a show, a few weeks at least. Haven't had any attorney general scandals in Indiana to talk about. I did an episode two weeks ago. I recorded an episode because I felt compelled to record. And I recorded it on a Friday afternoon. I listened to it. It was shit. It was an incoherent mess. It was a lot of rambling and just me bouncing all over the place. It wasn't good. Um, So I dumped it. And truth be told, in this episode, I don't really have a topic. Um, It's not that I really felt compelled to record. It's just that I thought for this episode, since I didn't have anything, there are things to talk about, but there are 10,000 podcasts you can listen to to talk about COVID. There's 10,000 podcasts you can listen to to talk about politics. We're 60-some days from the general election. There's tons of podcasts you can listen to to talk about I don't know, the NBA playoffs, if you're paying attention, or the hockey playoffs, if you're paying attention, or baseball. Football hasn't started yet. I may touch on that here in a moment. College football more so than professional football. But the pros haven't started yet. I mean, it's in December. Regular season should have started by now, but it hasn't. And I guess, evidently, in the next week or two. As I'm recording this episode, it's September the 4th, Friday, September the 4th. There's things going on, but there's... Tons of other podcasts you can go to, and I go to them on a regular basis, almost dare I say on a, reg- on a daily basis, to, uh, to get my fix on those areas. So what I thought I would do for this episode is kind of just jump around. 
kind of a, not really a what's going on, but a random thoughts or random questions type of episode. Just jump around a little bit, hit things here and there in a variety of different areas. Kind of like what I did two weeks ago, only hopefully this time I'll actually have a clue as to what the hell I'm talking about. Or at least what I'm talking about makes more sense than that episode did. first thing I kind of want to jump into is, has anybody kind of given up on, have you given up on Facebook or are you attempted to give up on Facebook? Because I don't know what the hell's happened in the last month, but damn, it is, and I don't, it's not Facebook's fault. I'm not blaming Zuckerberg as much as, is there no greater Satan right now in the body politic and in this country than Mark Zuckerberg? I mean, Xi Jinping, who's interning a million Uyghur Muslims, probably has a higher approval rating in this country than Mark Zuckerberg does. I'm not blaming Facebook for this. Everybody seems to want to control Zuckerberg, or Freudian slip. Everybody seems to want to hate Zuckerberg because they can't control him, because they can't get him to do what they want him to do. They decide, oh, we, oh, we need to change the law. We need to do this. We need to do that. We need to take away, you know, he's censoring, he's censoring conservatives. Conservatives get more play on Facebook than any other platform, more so than Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, whatever. Well, maybe not YouTube. Actually, no, bigger than YouTube. So this idea that conservatives are being censored is just complete and total shit. The same goes with liberals on Twitter, okay? The Twitter is not r- the real world, which is why Bernie Sanders is not the presidential nominee for the Democratic Party. It's not the real world, just as Facebook is not the real world. And I don't, I'm not going to go into Twitter because I am, and I've said this before, I am exceptionally cautious about how far into Twitter I go. It is, it is the, the supermassive black hole at the center of the galaxy, okay? It can be in terms of the social media universe. And I, I'm kind of skirting it as best as I can. So I'm not going to go into Twitter, but Facebook, I've been on Facebook for 11 years and I kind of came in late. I got into it in 2009 and the reaction from a lot of people that I knew was, took you long enough. I don't know what's happened to Facebook in the last month. Maybe, maybe I'm just being overly dramatic. Maybe I'm just, uh, maybe my antenna have been tuned a little bit differently over the last few weeks than say previously but the it just seems like there's been this shift and i don't know i can't quite put my finger on it but it's just gone to hell i mean it used to be i'd get on facebook and you know there'd be news stories i could read because i get a lot of news 
through my Facebook feed, which is I think is part of the problem because what we call, what we call news is a subjective thing. And what we call news on Facebook is an exceptionally subjective thing. If not, it's a straight up just a bullshit thing. But I don't know what's happened over the last few weeks, but maybe it's because we're getting closer to the election. Maybe because shit's starting to get real. Maybe it's maybe it's because of everything that's happened in the, in the everything that's happened since the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. The the vitriol is well, maybe no, not the vitriol. The um, the the protestations, probably a better word. The protestations have ramped up exponentially. It seems like, and it's when it's not talking about everyone. Everyone in the world is a pedophile. All of a sudden. You know, every politician, pedophile. Every celebrity, pedophile. This is a, I think this is a QAnon. Nobody's coming, nobody that's posting that stuff that I'm seeing, and these would be friends of a sort. You know, they might be friends. We might have been friends when we were in high school, and that's how long ago I saw them, but they're friends on Facebook. And they're posting stuff about pedophiles and sex trafficking and and that type of thing and it feels like a QAnon type of thing that they're alluding to but they're not coming right out and saying QAnon because they don't want to sound crazy well how can you be against you know going after pedophiles and sex trafficking and that type of thing well nobody is but if you're emphasizing that as a backdoor to endorsing QAnon that's a different thing it's the the, the just the, the increase in pedophilia comments pedophilia memes pedophilia posts anti anti-pedophilia stuff sex anti-sex trafficking stuff and just in the last few weeks has ramped up the 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 vitriol this is now this is definitely vitriol the vitriol against anyone who questions the police or questions law enforcement okay it's not enough if you don't in all aspects of life support law enforcement they've got a problem what i find ironic about these same people is that they're the ones that are talking about the deep state and at the same time or they have in in the recent past talked about the deep state and the deep state and the conspiracy against Trump and the FBI and you can't trust the big government and all that kind of stuff and it's like do you not know what the police are do you not know what the police do they are government they have more impact on your day-to-day life than any other aspect of government probably does, if they so chose. And you would be, by and large, powerless to stop them. But no, please, tell me about this fictitious deep state conspiracy to remove Donald Trump. Sure. Okay, cop, you know, a cop sits on a man's neck for eight minutes, but, you know, and he... And he dies as a result. No, 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 no. He died of fentanyl. 
he had fentanyl in his system and he resisted arrest so of course he had to die the latest one is um and i cannot remember his name i can't remember his last name the gentleman in, in kenosha who uh, was shot in the back seven times and is now paralyzed jacob oh i cannot remember his name i, I apologize the gentleman who was getting into his vehicle, his kids were, who was reaching into his vehicle or getting into his vehicle, his kids were in the car, and the cop, the officer, at point blank range, shoots him seven times in the back. There's no justification for that, but to these people, there's a justification. No, oh, he was he was uh, wanted on a he was wanted for sexual assault. He had a knife in the vehicle. He was going for a knife. One, there's no indication that he was going for a knife. Two, if he was wanted for sexual uh, uh, on a charge of sexual assault uh, from a previous incident, that doesn't justify shooting him in the back seven times. These same people, the 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 other gentleman who was killed in the Wendy's parking lot in Atlanta a couple of months ago, as he's running away, they justified these same people justified that as. Um, he had a taser. He had a taser. He fired the taser back at the officer. He fired the taser back at the officer when he was 20 to 25 feet away and he was running away from the officer. And the officer fell into the fell up against a car, steadying himself, aimed and fired, killing the man. Shot him twice, if my memory serves. Killed him. Shot him in the back. Killed him dead. That was justified because he was he assaulted the officers and he grabbed the taser and he, he he was using a deadly weapon totally justified so if you do not back everything that law enforcement does you hate the police you want to defund the police you're on the side of black lives matter which is a euphemism for which is a euphemism of some kind, or it's been become a euphemism of some kind, and you support Antifa. It is this exceptional false dichotomy that has been put in place. And you read the memes, and there's memes, there's just tons of memes, lots of screenshots, or videos from uh, conservative sources, that type of thing. And it's just, it's amped, it's been amped up to where it just floods my feed. You know what, I'm just on Facebook to see, you know, what my cousins are doing, maybe some people I used to work with are doing, stuff that's going on with other folks. Maybe find, maybe see something funny, read some news articles from some reputable news sources that don't, that don't have some contrived web address associated with them, and maybe share those. I'm not going to deny in no way, shape, or form, am I an unbiased? Am I unbiased in any way when it comes to Trump and Trump supporters? I'm just not. Donald Trump is a despicable human being. He has not one redeeming human quality. Not one. I've said it from the beginning of the show, and I continue to say it, and I'll continue to say it until he's dead, or until I'm dead, whichever comes first. But my view is clear. Do I feel that same way about Trump supporters? No. That's insane. However, do I wonder if those Trump supporters think, give me the same 
benefit of the doubt is not the right word, but the same consideration, I'm not so sure. The big thing is, uh, the one other thing about the law enforcement thing is, is that obey what cops, do what cops tell you to do. You do what a cop tells you to do and you won't get shot. So because you disobey, regardless of what degree you disobey, you deserve to get shot and killed because you refuse to comply. These are the same people that say if the government comes and tries to take their guns, a whole, there's going to be a whole lot of dead cops. Because who do they think is going to come and try to take their guns? You think it's going to be the FBI or the it might be the ATF? It might be, I don't know, Border Patrol? Who knows? But do they think it's just going to be federal law enforcement that's going to come and try to take their guns? No, it's going to be local cops. Why? Because you know the group that fears people with guns the most are local cops. The biggest supporters of gun control in this country is law enforcement. Wonder why. I'm getting off on a tangent here. But Facebook just has become, I mean, the feed. And then there's, there's the people who are supporting. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not by, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not unbiased here. I have a bias. I am supporting a Black Lives Matter. I have serious issues with with the way law enforcement conducts itself. Um, I do believe that there is systemic racism, although I think that term has become a I think that term has become a convenient throw out phrase. If you were to ask somebody, if they say, well, there's systemic racism, and you ask them to give you an example of, what's, of what they mean by systemic racism, I suspect that they would have a hard time doing so. It's that type of a term. It's there to elicit a visceral reaction, as most terms these days are. Black Lives Matter, Antifa. On the right, those are euphemisms. They're there to elicit and a visceral response. On the left, a lot of times it's healthcare and systemic racism and anything, anything with a, an ist or an ism with it. Racism, sexism, transphobism, homophobism, or ick, transphobic, race, uh, transphobic, homophobic. They're all there to elicit a, they're not they're all there to elicit a visceral reaction. But Facebook has become it's just become ponderous in a lot of ways. And it's just maybe it's something maybe it's something to do with the algorithm. I don't know. Maybe it is Facebook's fault if it's a algorithm type of thing. Maybe it could just be that you've got Trump supporters and right-wing media and right-wing Basically, the right wing that has decided to flood Facebook as a, in a concerted effort, I'm not saying a conspiracy or anything like that, because I don't think there's, there's, no, there's no Borg hive mind going on here. It's just all people swimming in, it's all people, it's all a whole bunch of people rowing in the same direction at the same time. They're just doing it in separate boats, kind of like the Greeks landing, on, landing at Troy type of thing. But it's just been ponderous. Am I the only one that, that has noticed that or feels that way about Facebook? So much so that I don't get on it nearly as much as I used to. It used to be maybe an hour a day at the end of the day. Now it's about 10 minutes. And it's like, yeah, you know what? So-and-so who's posting, who evidently 
has a lot of free time and really fast fingers because you're just sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing all day long. But again, maybe it's the algorithm. Okay, let's go into some random geekery, which is always more enjoyable to talk about and certainly I would hope more entertaining. My wife and I finally got around to subscribing to Disney Plus, and we got the bundle with Hulu and uh, ESPN Plus, although I haven't signed up for ESPN Plus because there's no sports, and anything that I want to listen to on ESPN, there's probably there's a podcast for, or I've got like six channels of ESPN on YouTube TV, so I can just go there if I have to. And ESPN has a horrible habit of playing the same shit over and over and over again all day long. And they do it on six different channels. Although I will say, there was a particular brilliant piece of brilliant brilliant piece of broadcasting that ESPN did for a few weeks during the during the quarantine during the the deep part of the shutdown. They did the Ocho, which was brilliant. For those of you who don't know what the Ocho is, I'm referring to Dodgeball the movie. Dodgeball a true underdog story where the Dodgeball Championships at the end of the sh- at the end of the movie were shown on ESPN the Ocho. And you had Gary Cole and Jason Bateman doing color commentary on the dodgeball tournament, which was, they were hysteric. Anyway, now I want to go watch dodgeball again. Anyway, for a few weeks, ESPN turned one of its channels in the evening. I think it might have been ESPN 2 because there was no sports. So they were either showing sports movies or old games, what old games they were able to show. And then for a few weeks in the evenings, they turned it into the Ocho. And it was exactly what you expected it to be. They'd show cornhole tournaments, dodgeball, really obscure sports, roller derby, that type of thing. And it was just, uh, and they were, they really leaned into the, the Ocho as if, as if this was a real channel, but they did it in the spirit of, how it was presented in Dodgeball the movie in Dodgeball True Underdog Story so that was really good but we signed up for Disney Plus my wife we signed up for it because my wife basically just wanted to get Hulu there's some stuff on Hulu that she wanted to watch and she started she's been binging Mrs. America a couple hours a day for on those days that she's not been working where I have been working I've been working from home for the last six months and I'll be working from home for the rest of the year at least and the kids are in school. She can now get around to watching some of the things that she wasn't able to watch when they were home. Well, at least things that she thinks that she wouldn't be able to watch while they were home. Although, they don't pay attention to anything we watch anyway, so it doesn't matter. Disney Plus and Hulu. So, of course, what's the first thing? Of course, I'm happy I got Disney Plus. Why? Marvel. I can watch all the Marvel movies that I want. I have a lot of them on Blu-ray, but I don't have Infinity War and I don't have Endgame. And then there's some other ones I don't have. What I finally got around to watching was The Mandalorian. I know I'm really late to the party on this. I told I was talking to my sister this weekend. We were at my dad's house. And I go, yeah, I, finally, I, yeah, I watched The Mandalorian. I binged it in three days. She goes, where have you been? Thanks, sis. And, you know, and I did. I binged it in three days, three evenings. 
I mean, that was what was cool about The Mandalorian, is that the episodes are like 35 to 45 minutes long. There's no commercials. And, you, and you know, they, they're not boring. I can't recall a single boring episode of The Mandalorian. And I will say that Baby Yoda, the, all the Baby Yoda memes that are out there, Baby Yoda, you, you, can, you have not experienced peak Baby Yoda cuteness until you see him in The Mandalorian. When he moves and behaves and whoever's doing the puppetry on that, you know, Baby Yoda was doing a really great job. And the best thing that they did was not let him talk. Even though he's supposedly like 50 years old. A 50-year-old baby. Remember, Yoda was 900 years old. Anyway. Peak Baby Yoda cuteness. Finally got around to watching The Mandalorian. And the one thing that I kept noticing about The Mandalorian was the music. It was so unlike any Star Wars music you'd ever heard before. It was just... It had a kind of an aboriginal, kind of an, Aus- an Australian feel to it some kind of outback type of thing which is a lot of what the mandalorian looks like i mean the settings are in these kind of backwater planets the music was just it it was a lot of the mandalorian is kind of formulaic the writing could be a little bit better the story's more well more developed i think if they'd taken an extra i don't know five to ten minutes an episode they could have really fleshed out the the episodes a little bit more and the overall storyline a little bit more i would have appreciated a little more explanation as unto the the backstory of the mandalorians themselves because unless you've like read the books the expanded universe the the legends series and that type of thing you don't really know much about the mandalorians except for the fact that boba fett was one but the music was just it did it, it was there's a playlist on Spotify for it. I followed the playlist for it, and it was like the official playlist. And I listened to it, and it was just, it sounded that good by itself. The Mandalorian, the music for The Mandalorian was done by a composer named Ludwig, if I'm pronouncing his name right, Ludwig Gerensen, who is the, I think he's the sole collaborator with uh, Ryan Coogler. Uh, he did the music for Creed. He did the music for Black Panther, which... I watched Black Panther again in the wake of the uh, the uh, the unfortunate and untimely death of Chadwick Boseman, who died last week from colon cancer that he'd been fighting for four years. Man's younger. Man died at 43. He's younger than I am, um, and he was diagnosed in his late 30s. ABC Sunday night decided they were going to, sh- as a tribute to Chadwick Boseman, they were going to show Black Panther. Um, they were going to show it uh, commercial free. From beginning to end. And then they were going to do a tribute to Chadwick Boseman afterward. My wife and I sat down to watch it. And she's not seen a single Marvel movie. And she'd a- I know she'd asked about Black Panther previously. And I was kind of like, well, Black Panther's not going to make any sense to you. Because you haven't seen the other Marvel movies. It's like trying to get somebody to watch Infinity War or Endgame. And they've not seen any of the other movies. They'll have absolutely no idea what's going on. But she, we're sitting down. Black Panther's starting. And we're watching it. We're watching the first hour. She's getting into it, and uh, she's laughing at the jokes and all that kind of stuff and the, the funny parts and everything, but um, the part that got my attention, and it was probably because I just finished binging The Mandalorian, was the whole sequence from when they arrive in Wakanda after they rescue Lupita Nyong'o, whose character, I cannot remember her name, and they, they're flying into Wakanda, and then they pass through the, the hologram field. And they're in 
Wakanda proper. And Gurnson's music lifts up and picks up. And it stays that way pretty much throughout the entire time they're in Wakanda until they go to South Korea. It's just an amazing piece of music composition. And Creed, oh my god, Creed. The theme that he did for Creed, the first Creed movie, not the second one, because I don't, I don't know if he did the music for the second one. His anthem for Creed, um, the, the training sequence, and at the end of the movie, is just remarkable. Just absolutely remarkable. Capture, it captures the spirit of Rocky, especially the theme to Rocky, the spirit of the theme to Rocky, but just elevates it and gives it such an incredible depth and power to it that Gonna Fly Now just doesn't have. It's just, for The Mandalorian, it was just, an, the music by itself just kind of, it builds, it sets, it does what music's supposed to do. It sets the mood, it sets the ambiance, but most importantly, it defines a character who doesn't speak a lot. I mean, the two defining characteristics, and when you watch The Mandalorian, the two defining characteristics of The Mandalorian are the armor and his music. Because he doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue. I'm a big fan of film scores. The theme to Superman, 78, Christopher Reeve's Superman, is arguably, in my opinion, one of the greatest pieces of film music, one of the greatest pieces of orchestral music, period, let alone film music, period. That opening anthem and the opening credits of that movie, it gives me chills. It's a 40-year-old piece of music. I just love that. There are pieces by John Williams who did Superman from from the Star Wars films that I just absolutely love. Wrath of Khan, James Horner's uh, work in the Wrath of Khan. Jerry Goldsmith on Star Trek The Motion Picture. I know a few episodes back when I talked about seeing the motion picture on the big screen for the 40th anniversary, but Jerry Goldsmith's score for that movie is amazing. And the, some of the Marvel stuff. I love the first... the. The, the score for the first Iron Man film, which I don't know why they didn't bring that composer back for Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3. I think, who, and this, it's the guy, he did um, he did the score for Pacific Rim, the first Pacific Rim. He did the theme, he did the theme for Game of Thrones. And I can't remember his name. It's Ramin, I think. Ramin is his first name. I can't remember how you pronounce his last name. I love the, first, the score for the first Iron Man movie. And there are themes here and there that I enjoy a lot. Uh, the Avengers theme uh, from uh, Alan Silvestri in the first film, and then obviously the reprises in the third and in, in, in Infinity War and Endgame. I even like the uh, I like the uh, the theme that they did for Age of Ultron, which you hear at the very end of the movie when they're doing the the, the credits mosaic statue thing. With, with all the cast and stuff like that. That's a great piece of music. I think that the portals scene in Endgame wouldn't have nearly the power that it would have without Silvestri's uh, composition during that scene. Um, so the Marvel movies do, I think, a, a fairly decent job. And so, in some films, and not so much in others, there are some that are just not. The theme for the Guardians of the Galaxy theme is pretty good. Um, you hear it a lot in the first film, not so much in the second.
another topic. And I mentioned, I touched on this a little bit earlier. Let's talk a little bit of college football. And in particular, the actions of the Big Ten and the Pac-12. The Big Ten football conference, and the, or the Big Ten athletic conference and the Pac-12 athletic conference both announced several weeks ago that they were going to postpone, if not straight up cancel, all fall sports. And this was in reaction to COVID and pissed off a whole bunch of people. Boosters, uh, university boosters, athletes, parents of athletes, former athletes, pissed off the president of the United States, just pissed off everybody. Except for a lot of the people who are in the know, sports reporters, a lot of people at ESPN. And just this, it pissed off a whole lot of people. People really, why are, why, why are you doing this? There's absolutely no reason to do this. There's no basis to do this. And, and this was really right, either right before or right as colleges and universities were starting to open up and students were starting to come back in the month of August. When the Big Ten and the Pac-12 announced that, and evidently these were decisions that were made by um, the the university presidents for the member schools in these conferences. This is what the presidents decided to do. And everybody was just like, you know, the athletic departments were mad, the athletic directors were mad, the coaches were mad, and and players were mad, and they were there was these petitions and all this kind of stuff. And again, like I said, the president of the United States is really pissed off about it. He's terminated it into a campaign issue, even though if he'd done his job or even attempted to do his job in regards to dealing with this pandemic, there'd probably be or more likely would be college football starting right about now. There was all this just anger and hatred about these decisions. What everybody fails to understand is is that there's a very clear and obvious reason why they did that. And that is this could destroy a university. Think about it. You're a college president. You're the president of Ohio State University. You have a large endowment. You're a state-run school. Or you're a state school. Large, Probably have a large endowment. Make a lot of money. One player on your football team or your volleyball team or your golf team or your soccer team gets COVID and dies or gets COVID and is permanently disabled as a result of it. And it happened. And if there's any, even the remotely, the the remote chance that they got it because of the sport that they were playing because you let them play. There isn't enough money on this planet. And that's just for one athlete. Now, multiply that by the 80-some potential players on your football team, the number of players on your volleyball team, your soccer team, your golf team, any fall sport team. Then take into account the the potential liability. Let's say Ohio State plays Penn State at Ohio State. 
and a, and a Penn State player gets the COVID, and as best as they can determine, he they got he got the COVID while he's at Ohio State. Not only is that player probably going to sue Penn State, he's probably going to sue Ohio State as well because Ohio State, his argument being Ohio State didn't do enough to fight the COVID. If Ohio State had canceled its football season or postponed its football season, I wouldn't have been there on that Saturday to play Ohio State and I wouldn't have gotten the COVID. Now again, multiply that by every player on any Penn State team, whether they play at Ohio State or they play at home against Ohio State. Then multiply that by every team in the conference. And most of these conferences, school conference schools are state schools. They're not private. They're not like Notre Dame or Harvard. So if you're a university president and you've got to deal with, and even even if you if it's not anything to do with the sport, Ohio State football player gets the COVID while on campus and it kills him. Let's say it's the star quarterback. How much money, the star quarterback who's either a Heisman candidate or has got a really good chance of being a first round draft pick, how much money do you think that's he's going to cost? How much money do you think he could cost the school if he dies or is permanently disabled or permanently impaired as a result of getting the COVID on campus? At that point, it's a no-brainer. Not to mention the fact that all of these sports are you're in close proximity not only with their own teammates, but they're in close proximity against other teams. So the potential for herd infection I know we've heard about herd immunity but herd infection massive rapid spreading of the disease across multiple campuses in short periods of time because you know they're all having a hard enough time as is or going to have a hard enough time as is containing it within their campus and we've you've heard if you've watched the news there have been you know there was like 500 cases in, at the University of Alabama in the span of like a week or two Notre Dame had like several hundred positive cases, so much so that they had to shut down the campus and have everybody do remote learning. North Car- the University of North Carolina just did that. They closed, they shut down within like two weeks of opening up. And you're hearing that all over the place. That's bad enough. That's a big enough financial hit as well because if you're sending them home, you can't collect room and board from them which is usually more expensive than the tuition for the classes. Universities don't make a lot of money off of the tuition. They do, but they make even more money off of kids who live in the dorms and get on the meal plan and buy the food. So when the Big Ten and the Pac-12 did this, the first thing that popped in my head, and it kind of gives you an idea of where my, my, uh, my thought processes go, my first thought was, oh yeah, this is a big fat liability. It's obvious why they're doing this. This is a big fat liability risk. These schools have big enough risks as is in this type of situation. You're not going to, ex- you're not going to, they're not going to compound this, their exposure, just to keep boosters and fans happy. Yeah, are they going to lose money? Sure. But the amount of money they lose from tickets, admissions, compared to the, am- the amount of money that they could lose from lawsuits and even even by doing this they're not spared they've reduced the risk they haven't eliminated the risk the, the risk is still very high 
And if you're a state school, where are you going to get the money? If you got to start paying out damage awards. Because you know they're not going to let you raise tuition. At least not exceptionally more so than, they, than you normally would otherwise. Your endowment? Well, how long can that last? Endowment's only as good as people as long as people are given continuing to contribute to it. And if you do something stupid in the process, which colleges and universities, college and university administrations tend to do when the fit's about to hit the shan, they, as any organization does, the propensity, you know, the, the potential to do something stupid grows exponentially. It made perfect sense to me when the Big Ten and the Pac-12 did what they did, and I'm surprised other conferences haven't done it. I'm surprised other universities haven't done it, and I think it's because I think it's their, and I think it's political pressure because uh, the biggest, you know, the biggest fear that any university has is pissing off its boosters, the people that donate the money. And if those people want football, or they want volleyball, or they want soccer, or they want, you know, if they want fall sports, and they're the ones that are writing the checks, you tend to listen to them more. You know, that's why if the boosters want a head coach gone, guess what? The head coach is gone. And sometimes they'll write the checks to get rid of him. I mean, I, I'm an Indiana University fan. That happened a couple of times. They want to get rid of the basketball coach. One of the boosters said, here, let me write you a check to get rid of the basketball coach. Here, I'll pay for I'll pay for the remainder of his contract, or negotiate a deal, negotiate to, for a reduction on his contract to get to, to buy out his contract, and I'll I'll indemnify you, I'll cover you for it, I'll make sure you're good for it, so that the school, the booster pays off the coach, and then the school can take the money that they saved from not having to pay off the coach that they just fired, to go buy go hire another coach. So it's very political, and you also don't want to make the fans angry. And there's and there you know there are some places where, quite frankly, COVID isn't the uh, isn't taken as seriously as it's taken in other places. It's just you know that's just the way it is in this country, and that's a large part of the problem as to why we're still seeing a, over a thousand people die a day, and we've got over one hundred eighty-five thousand people, almost one hundred ninety thousand people dead in just the span of six months. In this country. Speaking of sports, has, have you watched the NBA playoffs at all? They're in the bubble. They're down in Disney World, and they're playing in. They're playing all their games, and like I think it's all on the same court. It looks like it's all on the same court, and it, I think the court is a ballroom that they converted into a basketball arena. Because I don't think Disney World has any "quote unquote" basketball arenas in it, but. What they've done is is that the, the teams play 
and then the bench for each team is socially distanced. There's like four rows of seats where the players or the staff sit in and they wear their masks and they're socially distanced. They're, they're not quite six feet apart, but they're awfully close. There's no crowd. There's no live crowd there. What they've done instead is they've put these visual video, digital video, I don't want to say projections, but I can't think of a better word. Um, these digital video projections of streaming of fans actually watching the game from home. So if you're watching it on your computer or anything that's got a webcam on it and you turn the camera on, you could potentially be a quote-unquote spectator at the game on one of these digital displays, these digital displays that they've got on these seats in these three or four rows of seats just above the benches where the players sit. And that's about all you can see. You, they can't go up higher than that because the cameras are right down on the court. So, you know, and they'll, they'll flash to the digital displays of people from time to time. And it's usually the fans of the, you know, the teams that are playing. And then they pump in, I don't know if they pump it into the, into the, uh, the arena, quote unquote, uh, crowd noise, or if it's just something you hear over the television as you're watching the game. I don't know if it's actually there in the arena to where the players hear it, or if it's just something they pump through, they feed into the, and in, in through, uh, the broadcast so that the people at home hear the crowd noise. But it's, it's kind of cool, but at the same time, kind of odd. Um, you definitely notice the difference. Uh, crowd noise is crowd noise. Whether you're watching it on TV, whether you're there in person or you're watching it on TV, you notice the difference. There's a, the crowd noise that they pump through is very shallow and kind of muted. Whereas if you were actually watching an actual crowd in an actual game live on television, you would, it would be much more robust. But I gotta say, I've watched some of the basketball, and the basketball hasn't really been hurt for the quality of the play hasn't been really been hurt by the absence of the crowd, which I am kind of surprised by. Now you don't get the you get the runs, but you don't the 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 streaks where you know one team will rack, run off eight to ten points in a row and that type of thing. And then sometimes you'll get the back and forth where they'll just trade buckets. You don't get the um, there's obviously a, a great deal of the the ambiance that is missing. You don't get the crowd roars and the and the the and, and all that type of stuff as as teams build momentum. You don't get any of that, and that's that kind of diminishes the experience a little bit. But the quality of play, I gotta say, the quality of play has been pretty good for the games that I've watched. And the one other thing, the nice thing about the bubble, and this although this was kind of a problem during the like the first round of the playoffs, was that. You don't have games competing against each other. As you would say last year, you might have two or three playoff games on two or three different channels all going at the same time. You don't have any of that. It's one game after the after another game after another game after another game because they're all playing in the same place at the same time. They're using the same floor. So they can't... So there isn't that... You don't have any of that potential overlap. So you can watch one game at a time. It's really, it's really kind of nice. The only problem with that was that in the first round, it was like there'd be a playoff game on at like 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. That kind of sucked. The other nice thing about it is, is that you don't have the four or five day gaps or three, three or four day gaps 
It's every other day. These teams, unless you're like done with your series and you're waiting for the other so another series to finish so that you can play the winner of that series or you're waiting to f- or you're done and you're waiting to see who you play next it's one after one it's every other day there isn't the three and four day gaps where okay we're going to show this game on a thursday and then we're not going to show another game until sunday why because of television there isn't any of that so every other day you're playing you don't have to travel you don't have to fly on a plane to go from to, from L.A. to Miami or L.A. to Dallas or San Francisco to Utah or whatever. There's no travel days. So you can play every other day. And that's really nice because, you know, it's like, okay, great. I'm going to watch game. Okay, great. I watched game two and game three is in two days. Woo! And really, the only reason it's in in two days is so that they because they got to squeeze in other games because they're all playing in the same place at the same time. I don't know if I necessarily want to want to see this this type of thing go on forever. I think there is I think there is having been to tons of basketball games. I think there is something about being there and having a crowd there and that type of thing. I think I think crowds especially in basketball. I think crowds make a huge difference. That's why you can see such a marked difference between a team that plays that's playing at home versus a team that's playing on the road. You get a crappy team that's playing at home against a really good team, that crappy team's got a good chance of winning. Whereas if they're playing on the road against that really good team, they're probably going to get slaughtered. Or you get two teams that are evenly matched and um, the home crowd can make a huge difference. I can remember a couple of series in the 80s, Lakers series, the 1988 series, the first series between the Lakers and the Pistons went to seven. And the Lakers totally needed those last two games in Los Angeles in order to be able to do that. Absolutely essential for them. Absolutely essential for that uh, to happen. And I'm sure there's other playoff series that I just can't think of where, you know, having where you were playing was crucial to the outcome of the game or the outcome of the series, I should say. I mean, that's the whole point of home court advantage. That's why you play for home court advantage because of the intangibles that are brought with where you play so let's see is there any other random thoughts or random questions that i could possibly bring up yeah i don't think so i think i'm tapped out any comments questions criticisms or concerns ideas thoughts musings conjecture speculation conspiracy theories let me know and here's how you can do that the Twitter handle is at I have so many pod or just look up I have so many questions podcast on the search function of your Twitter app. The email address is I have questions podcast at gmail.com. Facebook.com forward slash I have so many questions podcast. If you go to the anchor.fm forward slash I have questions webpage, you can leave me a voice message. I don't think there's a time limit on the voice message, but there could be. So you might need to be succinct or brief. But if you don't have to, let her rip. I want to hear from you about whatever. I'm not picky. I do a podcast by myself in a basement. Okay? If you took a look at me right now with my scraggly hair and my my, uh, unkempt beard my quarantine, my COVID beard, my like sixth COVID beard, 
I'm just like a step or two away from full-blown Kaczynski. You know, I'm practically, if not for the fact that I'm using a laptop and a microphone to record a podcast, uh, I could be well on my way to ant to being an anti-tech zealot, full-blown Unabomber, and the interesting symmetry to the actual story with the Unabomber is that I have a sister who would probably totally turn me into the feds if I went down that road. She's an attorney. She wouldn't bail me out. She's an attorney for the other side. Sorta. She would totally she would totally turn me in. Her husband would probably help me flee to a non-extradition country. Interesting dynamic there. But the beard, such as it is, let me just say that a unkempt beard in an in, in an age where we have to wear masks anytime we go outside or go out in public an unkempt beard is really really annoying i didn't really realize that until today when we had to go buy my daughter a new cell phone and i had to wear a mask and again unabomber beard and i took it off in the car after we got done and my face was so incredibly itchy it, like, it, was, it felt like I had smothered my face in a wool sweater. It's just awful. I was scratching my face for like five minutes. It's like I had the hives. It was just... Ugh. This has been I Have So Many Questions. I have been your esteemed host with the most, Brian Watson. Thank you for your time and for your patronage, allowing me to ramble somewhat more coherently than the last time I tried to do this about topics that mean probably little to nothing to anyone but me but again my own personal little vanity project so roll with me on it thank you for your time and for your patronage good night cleveland